Priska Mayende was toiling away under the hot sun on her four-acre farm in Bungoma, Kenya, about 50 kilometers east of the Ugandan border, when neighbors told her about a man on a motorcycle. He was just moving around uh, looking for farmers, those farmers who are, who are in groups. Well, she was in a group, or more specifically, a water cooperative, and she loved trees. So when he was asking some of the communities, then he said, they said Mama Priska is one of the, the farmer who is interested in doing the, the agroforest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's you as Mama Priska? I'm the one. I'm okay. Mama Priska. Yeah. Webster's defines agroforestry as land management involving the growing of trees in association with food crops or pastures. This is the man on the motorcycle. Well, my name is Amakanda Hisa. I work for VI Agroforestry in Bumula. Makanda, or Johnny as most people here call him, was looking for farmers who'd be willing to try something radical, namely to plant trees among their crops. It was a hard sell for most, but not for all. People really feared that maybe when there are trees in the farm, eh, eh, the, the production cannot be good. But Priska Mayanda took the plunge, and within three years her farm was covered in trees. And the birds had returned. You'll hear them when we visit her. But what about her corn, her sugar, her potatoes? Well, that's where things get interesting. And it's where this guy comes in, too. We, I think, have all forgotten that food starts in soils. We have disconnected the food chain. That's Emmanuel Faber, the CEO of Dannon. You know, the yogurt people? Well, they buy raw materials from farmers like Priska, who've often grazed cows in the forest and chopped trees for firewood. Most of them used to go and cut, cut trees or cut firewood in the forest to come and sell. But because of the market that Brookside has brought here, some farmers have left, those farmers, some of those farmers have left the, the, the cutting of trees and now embarked on selling to Brookside. Yes. That's taken Arnold. He runs a farmer's cooperative about 60 kilometers northeast of here. And that Brookside he mentioned... Well, that's East Africa's largest dairy company, and it was founded 20 years ago by the Kenyatta family, which includes Uhuru Kenyatta, who's now president of Kenya. In 2014, Dannon took a 40% stake in Brookside, part of its plan to do something extraordinary, namely to become carbon neutral, in part by making parts of their supply chain carbon positive, which means making them so environmentally friendly that they actually pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. To pull it off, they're teaming up with farmers' cooperatives, environmental NGOs, and small farmers, and tapping carbon markets to drive the process forward. We are now going to be responsible for the carbon emissions of the full cycle of our processes. From the farms, the hundreds and thousands of farmers that we work with, to our billion of consumers in the world. Today on Bionic Planet, the subsistence farmer and the CEO, the first in a series of episodes examining the way small Kenyan farmers are teaming up with multinational agribusinesses to confront climate change by reshaping the countryside. Man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. There's a group of us now who are proposing that the Earth has actually entered a new epoch, and that is the Anthropocene. Anthropocene.
we know that the enemy is carbon and we know it's ugly face we should put a big fat price on it and of course add to that drop the subsidies earth we broke it we own it and nothing is as it was not the trees not the seas not the forests farms or fields and not the global economy that depends on all of these but we can restore it make it better greener more resilient more sustainable but how technology geoengineering are we doomed to live on a bionic planet or is nature itself the answer that's the question we address in every episode of bionic planet a podcast of the anthropocene the new epoch defined by man's impact on earth and nowhere is that impact more deeply felt than in agriculture because roughly 30% of all greenhouse gas emissions come from our impact on forests farms and fields at the same time agriculture and by extension our global food supply is especially vulnerable to climate change with its droughts floods and general unpredictability that's why climate safe agriculture is a cornerstone of the paris climate agreement but what exactly does it mean how is it being applied in the field how is it funded these are the nitty-gritty questions we must answer if we're to meet the climate challenge and i spent over a month in kenya trying to do just that Today I'll introduce you to some of the people I met there and outline some of the issues that we'll be exploring in the weeks ahead. If it flies by kind of fast, don't worry. We'll be coming back to all of these issues for a more leisurely stroll as the series unfolds. I'm standing on the porch of a concrete bungalow at the base of Mount Elgon near Kenya's border with Uganda. The bungalow is painted in colors that all Kenyans immediately recognize, sky blue and pea green, the colors of Brookside Dairies, which controls more than 40% of Kenya's dairy market. The Kenyatta family owns half of the company, Danon owns 40%, and a private equity partnership called the Abraj Group owns 10%. This bungalow, however, doesn't belong to Brookside. It belongs to the Kaptama Farmers Cooperative, which is a crucial link in the long and intricate supply chain from your local grocery store through multinational food giants like Danon to small farmers like this guy. I'm Silas Cherongis. I'm 38 years. I've been farming more than 10 years. 10 years. I've been given a farm by my father, and I was a, a local farmer. But through seminars and other trainings, I started practicing dairy farming. There is no school today, so kids have been helping out their parents, bringing in the milk for them, and Silas is the first adult to show up. Until now, it's just been young boys, most not even 10 years old, wearing rubber boots and sandals, carrying little cans of milk from nearby farm. One by one, they hand their cans to technicians overseen by this guy. Yes, I'm called Tekin Arnold. I'm the project coordinator of Kaptama Farmers Cooperative Society. Uh-huh. In fact, uh, this society started in 1958. So it was an old cooperative, mainly dealing with the buying cereals for farmers. But so we started basically uh, collecting the milk of farmers in November 2013. So, so far, we've collected over a million kilograms of milk 
and farmers have earned over 30 million Kenyan shillings. All the cans are small, and some are so tiny that it hardly seems worth the effort of carrying them this far. And there's a reason for that. In fact, it's a big part of why we're here. Each technician wears a long smock, and one of them has latex gloves, like a doctor. He uses a syringe to extract a small amount of milk from each can. There are several tests we conduct here. Uh, we, we, collect, uh, we conduct three tests, basically. Uh, the organoleptic, uh, and then we are doing the alcohol test, and then we are doing the resazarin test, uh, that's the test of bacteria. So after doing that is when we can now write uh, the receipt or record to the farmer. Uh, the quantity of milk is delivered, and then thereafter I'll enter the, the records into the computer. Yeah. If it passes the test, it's poured into a bucket for weighing, and then into a 10-gallon milk churn. You know, those tall, thin aluminum containers with two handles on the top? Each milk churn has a splash of sky-blue paint around the rim, and later today Brookside will send a truck to pick up the haul. As the day goes on, motorcycles start coming in from farms just over the horizon, each laden with four milk churns, two on each side, a total of 40 gallons of milk for each haul. Then a truck comes from one of 14 collection points spread across Bungoma County. Something similar is happening all across Kenya every day at thousands of cooperatives drawing milk for more than 130,000 farmers into Brookside's processing plants. But the operations weren't always this smooth. A few years back, Brookside faced a milk shortage. So they did a little research and found that some farmers had given up on dairy because even a single cow is a major investment and the milk market was a day-to-day -day affair. On some days, farmers would show up with milk only to find no buyers. So Brookside guaranteed that they would buy whatever the farmers can produce. But they also noticed something else. In some parts of their territory, farmers brought in three liters per cow on a good day. In other parts, they brought in seven or more and consistently. Here the solution is a bit more complicated because they found that the farmers who generated the most milk weren't the ones grazing their cows in the forest, but were instead the ones who brought the forest to their land by planting trees. Remember what Taken Arnold said earlier. These are people who have the animals in the forest. So most of them used to go and cut, cut trees or cut firewood in the forest to come and sell. But because of the market that Brookside has brought here, some farmers have left, those farmers, some of those farmers have left the, the, the cutting of trees and now embarked on selling to Brookside. Yes. Okay, me, I'm Chris Kamayende. I'm a farmer. I'm Ignatius Sifuna-Rabitola. I'm a farmer. You know Prisco already, and Ignatius Sifuna-Rabitola lives about 10 minutes away. Both of their farms are lush and green and full of trees and birds and fruit and healthy patches of corn, cabbage, and potato. But it wasn't always like this. In the beginning, I was just doing, just farming like any other person. But uh, from 2010, I made VI. Then, when they visited my farm, my farm didn't have anything like trees, and the psalms mm -hmm. were not there. The psalms she's talking about aren't biblical, they're agricultural. And they come from an acronym, S-A-L-M, which means Sustainable Agriculture Land Management. 
If you Google that, you'll find an NGO called VI Agroforestry. Remember Johnny, the man on the motorcycle? Well, he works for them, and they've been working in Kenya since 1983, reaching out to farmers and showing them how trees can pull nutrients out of the air and inject them into the soil. But trees also take up space that could be used for crops, so it's a balancing act. What's more, people in this region only started chopping trees in the last generation, and the soils initially held up. At the beginning, our parents had the farms were with the trees. Trees were there. Trees like uh, albensi, mm-hmm. albensia. Okay. Yeah, those trees were in the farms. So, in fact, the people where that tree was, you, you could find a lot of humus down there. By humors, she means nutrients. Some trees will pull them out of the air and inject them into the soil by, say, fixing nitrogen, which means converting it into fertilizer. The farms were doing very well, but they started planting the sugarcane. They destroyed all the trees. That is where the problem now started. And even in the old days, you see, there were a lot of rains when they had trees. But after people destroying trees, people started missing rain. This is something you'll hear from people around the world, whether in Kenya, Uganda, Brazil, or anywhere that forests have been scraped away for farms. Once the trees are gone, the rains stop coming. And there's a reason for that. One we'll explore in a later episode. But in a nutshell, forests draw moisture in across the land. They guide the so-called atmospheric rivers or sky rivers, and they also store water in their trunks and leaves. You can search for atmospheric rivers online, but here's what matters for now. Farmers across Bungoma chop trees to plant sugar cane, and then they alternately face dry spells and floods. So they formed the Nakwai Community Water Project. Naikai Community Water Project was formed by the community members. Uh, we sat down as a community because we had one objective. We didn't have water. They worked together to coordinate water usage and well drilling. And also the major problem that made us to at least to introduce to have water, our cow, our animals, had a lot of problems because we could look for water from a very far distance. So it made us also uh, feel that we should look for water. Cows. They needed water for cows. Remember the dilemma that Brookside and Dannon faced? The wild fluctuations in milk production? How some farmers were consistent and others weren't? Well, that's a function of water and fodder. And it's where Johnny comes in. Johnny Makandehisa of VI Agroforestry. You saw him, the motorbike. Then we greeted one another. Then he asked me if I'm in a group. Then I said, yes, I'm in Naigai Community Water Project. That is my group. Then he asked me if at least we are interested of meeting visitors. Then I said, yes. Then I said, what type of visitors? Then he said, he introduced himself and said that he's working with the VI. VI Agroforestry has been active in Kenya for more than 30 years. And they've helped farmers across the country increase their yields by strategically planting trees. But they've always struggled to get funding. After all, agroforestry isn't something donors automatically understand. It's not sexy like climbing buildings and unfurling banners is. And it's not easy to implement, as we'll see when Prisca takes us on a tour of her farm. But it is effective and in more ways than one. 
You see, forests, farms, and fields absorb and emit carbon dioxide, not just via the trees, but via the soil. This is nothing new. Scientists have known about it for a long time. Healthy topsoil teems with life, and that means carbon. But as we churn through topsoil, we not only extract the nutrients that support agriculture, but we release carbon dioxide into the air, and lots of it, nearly 300 billion tons of carbon dioxide over the last 200 years, according to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Ratan Lal, a professor of soil science at The Ohio State University, says we can pull about 10% of our greenhouse gases out of the air and inject them into soils just by switching to climate-safe agriculture. And agroforestry is one part of that. So in 2007, to shore up its chronic funding shortfalls, VI Agroforestry took its 20 years of experience in Kenya and calculated the amount of carbon that its activities lock in the soil. Then it drew up a plan to finance its activities by selling carbon offsets, with most of the money going directly to farmers. In 2010, the World Bank decided to test the idea and gave VI Agroforestry money to get started. That's around the time that Prisca invited Johnny to pitch her water group on agroforestry. Our first meeting was the group of these farmers, the Naikai group, had heard about uh, VI Agroforestry, and they never knew exactly what we were doing. So when they invited me in their meeting, so I was to introduce myself and tell them what we fear agroforest does with farmers. I remember at the beginning when he came, first of all, he told us uh, the importance of planting trees. Um, because it was uh, something very difficult, I remember. In fact, he told us that uh, we as VI, we, we, we promote farmers to plant trees, at least to improve their livelihood. So one of them that people really admired was the firewood, because mm-hmm. Spania is part of firewood, and also something again other people also admired, Spania is also a fodder. Mm-hmm. It's a fodder mm-hmm. for the animal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the time, Prisca didn't have a cow, and neither did a lot of her neighbors. Those who did often took them grazing in forests, and they also chopped trees for firewood. But every day in the forest was a day off the farm, and their activities accelerated deforestation and everything that comes with it, the dry spells, the floods, and the landslides. So after that, they accepted that they are going to work with us. So we recruited them. Mm-hmm. We sensitized them, and then we recruited them. Mm-hmm. Then after that, the first training, then he brought the seeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the seeds he brought, I remember, um, they were um, Saspania mm-hmm. to do farm plan layout. Agroforestry begins with farm plan layout, which involves dividing the farm into six or seven different plots so the crops can be rotated without ever leaving a field fallow. It's a big part of all this. Remember Ignatius Safuna Rebatola? To me, it was a, a new idea because in most cases we feel a, a farm should just be fallow so that it is easier for you to do the farming. But after the long discussion, then also training, it came to my, my knowledge that at least I should do an agroforest. Yes. Ignatius joined the agroforestry program in 2009, before Prisca did, but they both started with typical Kenyan farms, about four acres each, devoid of trees, 
with rows of crops baking in the sun and maybe one fallow patch. I had some few trees inside here, but towards my farm, they had nothing like a tree. The farm was bare and there were no trees, there were no salm. It was just like that. Mm -hmm. But the moment we started training her, he started implementing it immediately. Then he brought the, the other species, like Gruvilia, Godia, and others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so many. And once she started, others followed, thousands of them. And in our next installment, we'll see how agroforestry impacted her farm and how those impacts feed into Dannon's plan to restructure its supply chain, as well as how all of this fits into the Paris Climate Agreement. After that, we'll return to the Kaptama Cooperative to see how all of these parts fit together, and then we'll head to the high slopes of the Abadars Hills, where farmers and flower growers are working together to reshape the Lake Naivasha watershed. You're listening to Bionic Planet, a podcast of the Anthropocene, the new epoch defined by man's impact on Earth. Do you like what you've heard so far? Do you want to hear more? If so, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and TuneIn or Stitcher or wherever you access podcasts. And let the good people of the world know about us by leaving an honest review, because it does help. The more good reviews we get, the more ears we get. And the more ears we get, the more minds we get. I'm also looking for sponsors and advertisers because right now Bionic Planet has no funding of its own. It's written by me, produced by me, and hosted by me. And to be honest, every one of these can benefit from additional editing and structure, but I can't do that on my own. If all you do is subscribe, that's great. I'll keep cranking these out with or without support. But if you want to help materially, you can donate at bionic-planet.com. That's bionic-planet.com. If you want to advertise or become a sponsor, email me, stevezwick at steve at bionic-planet.com. Once again, that's steve at bionic-planet.com. That wraps up this edition of Bionic Planet, and now that summer is over, I'll try to get these out more regularly. Feedback is always welcome, and if you email me an MP3, I may play it on the air. The address again is steve at bionic-planet.com. That's steve at bionic-planet.com. I'm also adapting this series into articles on Ecosystem Marketplace. So if you want more detail or to see photos, go to ecosystemmarketplace.com forward slash Kenya1. Once again, that's ecosystemmarketplace.com. That's all one word, ecosystemmarketplace.com forward slash Kenya1. It's the number one. It's not spelled out, Kenya1. The stories will also be mirrored on Bionic Planet. Until next time, I'm Steve Zwick, coming to you this week from Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.